0: Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, You can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Welcome to the Victim Service Center podcast here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues this week we are talking about start by believing day my name is Emily and I am the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center today I have with me Sharon she is currently working as an insurance professional. She is also a survivor of a sexual assault which occurred almost 25 years ago during her freshman year of college. Sharon, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And then I also have with me Johnny. Johnny has been working in mental health since 2013 and has been a victim advocate with the Victim Service Center for going on three years now. So Johnny, thank you also for being here today.
1: Absolutely, it's my privilege.
0: Perfect. So I wanted to start off with sharing some history of Start by Believing Day. Um, Start by Believing is a global campaign that was created in 2011 by the End Violence Against Women International nonprofit in Chicago, whose mission is to improve the criminal justice response to sexual assault and rape. The idea is to encourage people to start by believing when someone In their life discloses that they were sexually assaulted start by believing day is the first wednesday of every april Um, when this podcast airs it'll be that day Um, you can also take the pledge at startbybelieving.org in light of that the main focus of today's podcast episode is why is it important to believe survivors and uh, with that in mind uh, sharon i kind of wanted to ask you first why do you think believing is such a vital response for survivors to hear and experience?
2: Um, I believe it's so important and vital just for validation, believe it or not. Um, when you are assaulted, sometimes you don't even believe what happened to yourself. And, to share such a horrific and traumatic experience with family or loved ones or professionals, um, you just really need that validation. You need, to me, validation means security. Um, For for myself, I know um, I had some people who believed me and some people who didn't believe me, which I'm sure we'll speak about (laughs) shortly Mm -hmm. or later. Um, So it made me, when someone... Questioned whether or not it really happened, it made me question myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's why I feel like it's important just to believe right from the beginning and, um, you know, fill in whatever facts later. The facts don't matter. It, I mean, eventually they will, but just believe the person who stepped forward because it takes so much mm-hmm. out of that person to even come forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, Johnny, as an advocate, um, why is it important for us to believe survivors?
1: I definitely second what Sharon was saying. Um, It's been my experience that just the healing process is amazingly improved by having people there to support a survivor to hear what they're saying to validate what they've experienced mm-hmm. unfortunately so one of the things that uh, in violence against women international tries to do is tackle a lot of the rape myths that are present in our culture and one of those that's more pervasive is the idea of the stranger rape right where mm-hmm. it's um, like the the guy that jumps out of the park you your job. But research tells us that the vast majority of assaults are committed by somebody that the survivor knows. And it's really hard to reconcile this person that you knew and trusted with your rapist. And that can really throw the survivor in doubt and cause them to doubt their own experience. Um, an experience that, even though they mentally might have questions about their body very much is impacted by and is harmed by. Mm -hmm. And if we don't believe survivors in that moment, that cause further separation between the neurobiological effects of that trauma and the survivor's conscious mental experience. Um, On the other hand, if you're Validate the survivor in that moment and like Sharon said that the facts can come later and in this moment This is a person who is being vulnerable and sharing a trauma with you Um, It's a person who's hurting and if we can react to that person with empathy and Understanding that can do a lot to help just heal in that moment and help reintegrate the survivors physical experience with their conscious experience and that's a very powerful thing.
0: Absolutely. And Sharon, you, you went over it a little bit. Um, so when you did share your story with, um, close people, uh, in your life, um, or just, you know, to law enforcement or whoever you shared it with, um, were you believed or were you not believed?
2: Um, My story, it's just one that has so many components, but Mm. for the most part, um, I think people chose to believe what they wanted to. Um, Of course, when I went to the hospital, I was believed. Um, Mm. However, by campus security, I wasn't believed. Um, My parents believed me. Mm -hmm. Um, I had family members on my father's side who didn't believe me. Um, so it kind of was like a yo-yo, like a back and forth for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people who knew me and knew who I was, they definitely believed me without knowing any of the story. They, they didn't need the facts. They just heard that I was hurt, heard that this happened and they wanted to instantly believe me and embrace me and just support me. Um, but then there were people who, um, I think with my, my father's family, he, they're a little old fashioned. So there were um, a little, they, uh, you know, it was questions like, well, why were you there? And why would they do that? And how come, you know, it, it just wasn't, I had to prove to them um, why I was in a certain place when it really didn't even matter to be, you know, to be truthful. It doesn't matter. So I just, the not, I think the not believing, um, that still hurts me. Like I don't have a relationship with my father's side of the family because of this. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's just something that automatically, if you know me, you know, you know me well enough not to fabricate the story. Why would I? Um, And I just felt like they were calling me a liar. That's pretty much what it came down to it. Mm -hmm. Um, When it came to law enforcement or to um, the university, I mean, I think they had a different motive. Um, Their motive was, I was, I mean, I was assaulted by, you know, their star athletes. Mm
0: -hmm. So that
2: was just not something that was acceptable to them. Um, so I had, you know, I was going against many different, you know, facets. I, I had, I had tons of support, but for whatever reason it was, it was the people who didn't support me. I think that's what troubled me the most and what bothered me the most.
0: Mm, Got it. And, um, how were you impacted when someone did believe you?
2: Um, it actually it it made me feel it made me feel good it made me feel like you know it it's just one of those things where like when you tell your story or you don't tell your story and someone just wants to embrace you because you've gone through something because you've been traumatized mm-hmm. and they want to support you so i think having that That person who wants to support you, regardless, is so important and it's so impactful because I had those people and those friends and those family members, and even my advocate um, Mm -hmm. call me at 1 a.m. You know, call me when you feel a certain way, or even if you don't know how you feel, (laughs) call me, you know, so Mm -hmm. to get out of your own head. And that's so important too, just to be able to like voice how you're feeling. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I remember you saying, like, validation, too. Um, I think that, yeah, that's really powerful as well. Um, Johnny, uh, what have you seen in your um, work of the dangers of not believing someone when they disclose that they were sexually assaulted?
1: So I'd say there's a couple different levels to that on maybe the micro-individual level there's kind of that further um, separation of the survivor's conscious experience and their, their body and their, their biology's trauma. Um, the metaphor I like to use with my clients is that a, a trauma of this sort is no different from a broken bone, but instead of your skeletal system, it's your nervous system that's impacted. And just because it's invisible doesn't make the impact on our functioning or the healing process that's going to be required any less real or concrete. Um, and for a survivor not to be believed is to essentially be told that there's nothing wrong when their very real experience is that I'm walking around with a broken leg. There's there's something very wrong, and um, that can be very difficult to, uh, to cope with. Um, it's a little bit like being kicked when you're walking on crutches. Um, mm. So that, that's kind of the individual level, um, a little bit more of a, a community level. Um, so we we know that there's a big difficulty in, in trying to use research to get a a real picture of um, what's going on Uh, and that's there's a lot of reasons for that Um, but the picture that we have now is indicating that the vast majority of sexual assaults are committed by a very very small percentage of people and uh, these are repeat offenders it's really a predatory pattern of behavior that's not just sexual, but impacts a number of different domains. Uh, And we have yet to figure out a good way of helping to identify and rehabilitate uh, the individuals who for whatever reason have chosen to engage in these predatory behaviors. And so that leaves us as a community um, with the responsibility of really coming together and trying to watch out for each other. And so when we we ignore survivor, we are ignoring a alarm from a member of our community that, hey, there's there's something going on here. There's a problem that we need to look at. Mm -hmm. And when we turn a blind eye to that, we allow these individuals to continue impacting many, many more people, whether that's their intimate partners, uh, family members, their children one day. Uh, and that, that can cause millions of dollars um, in the long run when you look at all the, the mental health costs, the physical health costs that these kind of traumas produce uh, by allowing these individuals to continue to perpetrate and re-perpetrate um, And so it's really important for us as a community to be what we call an active bystander Mm -hmm. and to look for opportunities to step in into a potentially dangerous situation and help somebody who's vulnerable. And um, survivors coming forward are those warning signs that we need to listen to that, hey, there's something potentially dangerous here. There's something we need to take a closer look at.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Sharon, um, I wanted to also ask you about um if you could share a little bit about your healing journey and what helped you um as a survivor.
2: Absolutely. Um I was 18 years old, um, my first time away <laughs> from to mm-hmm. college. Um when I came home I I really didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. I honestly just wanted to disappear um I didn't want to talk about what happened to me I didn't want to explain what happened to me I kind of by the time I came home which was immediately after uh the assault I was just done I was exhausted Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um basically my sister and I are, are 11 years apart um and at the time she was like just a little girl and she was very smart and I really relied on her a lot, um, ironically, just to kind of get me through the day. You know, she would ask me questions (laughs) and, um, I think I was going on weeks of not sleeping and I just honestly couldn't take it anymore. And, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't really know how to, reach out. I didn't know who to reach out to, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And um, I decided when I just to start looking through the phone book and I found the crisis services of uh, Buffalo, New York. That's where I'm from. And, you know, it says I just literally looked for rape and they had a a, um, advertisement in the yellow pages. I don't know if you guys remember that. (laughs) (laughs) um, and it just it really started there. Um, the next day, I, I called. And I mean, the whole catalyst of this was, you know, my little sister had gone to school. She saw that I had looked up this number in the phone book. Her teacher proceeded to call my family. And I just realized, like, this impacts everyone in my life. Um, so I needed to, I needed help. And um, so I proceeded to get, um, I was signed up with a uh, an advocate and we started from there. We just started from square one. You know, she came to the house. I told her my story. I, I feel like I cried for hours,
0: mm.
2: um, but to actually sit there and tell someone my full story from start to finish Um, Because the only other person I had really told in that time frame, I mean, other than like law enforcement and the, um, the nurse, when I went to the hospital, was her. And, you know, a lot of it was shame. And a lot of it, you know, I just felt guilty and I felt embarrassed. And she was the first person, in my opinion, who took in everything that I had to say and really said, it's not your fault. Um, That's why I have such a huge appreciation for advocates, because without you guys, um, you know, just telling us it's not your fault and we believe you, like you are the front line of saying, we believe you. Um, And I feel like I got sidetracked. I'm sorry. (laughs) um, No, that's
0: totally fine.
2: I definitely, uh, I really owe, I feel like, my recovery to my advocate. Um, because she gave me the proper tools um, she was available and that it's just so important to have that that person who you know they don't know you they're not invested I mean they are invested but you know they're not invested personally but they get to know you on a personal intimate level and to have that relationship and to build that relationship and build that trust is so important and I think, she's really why I am where I am um, as far as my recovery wise. I mean, granted this happened, you know, like almost 25 years ago, but mm-hmm. the process was, you know, one-on-one. And then we, I started going to group counseling, and then they started asking me if I wanted to speak and get my story out. And that helped so much too. So I think that it's, honestly recovery is a lifelong process Mm -hmm. you're not going to wake up and you're not going to be like oh I'm healed you know like it's Mm -hmm. a lifelong step-by-step process some days you're going to hate it and not want to deal with it and then some days you're going to feel great and some days you're not going to want to deal with anything you know you just have to go through the process there's no real quick fix for it Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely thanks for sharing that um I I like that you talked about, uh, your advocate here and, um, it sounds like the start of the healing journey was kind of, um, just sharing your story and then someone believing you, um, is so powerful. It sounds like, um, you know, I kind of wanted to open up this question too. Um, it could be either of you obviously. Um, but what, what tips do you have to share for people when their loved ones disclose to them that they were sexually assaulted?
1: That, like Sharon said to try to delve into all the facts and I mean, that's what the police is for and that's what the counselor the advocate is for um, mm-hmm. and in that moment they just they need you to be their husband or their father or their mother or their friends just be whoever you are to that person mm-hmm. and be with them um, so number one tip is to just listen um, be empathetic. Let them know it's not their fault. Like, like Sharon said, there's there so many cultural messages that tell survivors it is their fault um, when they're not the ones who made the choice to be assaulted. Uh, and it's it's really important that we kind of wrap survivors with that message. Um, again, I, I like my broken bone, bone metaphor, so it's, it's like putting a cast on that broken leg. We, we really have to wrap it with that kind of support uh, to really help the healing process and put responsibility where it where it belongs. It, it's not the survivor's fault. It was the assailant who made that choice. And I don't care what the circumstances were. The assailant made a choice, not the survivor. and, and let's let's really emphasize and wrap survivors with that kind of support. So for, During a sexual assault, uh, a survivor's basic freedom of choosing what to do with themselves, with their bodies being taken away from them. Um, So it's it's really important, too, as a a survivor is disclosing to you, that we do what we can to empower them to make their own choices about what happens next. And so a lot of times I hear from my clients, like they've told somebody, they've told a parent or uh, a friend, and that person very well-meaning, very well-intentioned, immediately starts pushing them in a particular direction. Like, you need to go and you need to tell law enforcement right away or even just makes that call for them. And I I get why people want to do that, but it's really important that that is the the survivor's decision. Uh, So ask them what they need. Ask them what they would like to happen next and how you can help them with that. Uh, but don't take that choice away from them because their their choices have already been taken away from them. So let, let's really try to empower survivors as well um, as they're disclosing to make their choices about what's going to happen
0: next. Absolutely. Thank you for that, uh, Sharon. Do you have any tips specifically, or
2: um, I my tip I would definitely suggest that you you believe yourself. I think a lot of times too we're so filled with self-doubt um you know cultural things that tell us that what we went through you know it, it was our fault and it wasn't so i think too i mean just it's easy for you to doubt yourself and doubt your experience um and that's why we do look for that validation but it does also, start in believing in yourself, believing in your story. Um, there were times when I was like, "Did this really happen to me?" You know, and yes, it did. <laughs> you know, so you you have to firmly know that what you went through is terrible. You did not do anything to make this happen. You did not. You're not responsible. And um, I think that what Johnny just said, like, make the assailant responsible for his or her action. And you be responsible for you, for your actions, for your survival, for your recovery. And I mean, that's pretty much what I had to do. I had to put blame where blame was due.
0: Absolutely. Um, I also wanted to ask um, another question about you know, what does believing look like to you personally?
2: For me, believing is just all about the validation. Mm-hmm. Just having someone, anyone say, you know what? I believe this happened to you. I don't know all the facts. I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of your story. But because you said this happened, I believe you. And I want to help you. And I want to hear more. Of how, you know, of, of what happened to you. And I think that it just starts with education. It starts with us changing. It, it starts really with a dialogue. And that's why I, I love this podcast concept. <laughs> it's, it's a dialogue. Like, you know, I never would have thought like something like this would have happened to me. But who really sits there and thinks, like, this is going to happen to them? You know what I mean? No one thinks that way. So I know that, you know, if things... I mean, we prepare our children and, you know, kids for their life, right? We teach you how to ride a bike. We teach you how to drive. We teach you all these things. But no one ever prepares you for if, like, something bad or traumatic like this happens. Like, what the steps are. To, are you know, everyone talks about... Um, we're we're teaching my niece who's three about like her private you know Mm. don't touch her you know no one's supposed to touch you well that's like a challenge when you're giving her a bath you know what I mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) no you're not supposed to touch me there so I think it just opens with a real dialogue with you know our youth and letting them know you know there are people who will believe you and support you regardless Mm. and it's up to you. It's hard. It's scary, you know, but that's the only way I think if we have that foundation of you will believe it won't be as scary for anyone.
0: Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. If they, if, um, survivors know, um, go into the conversation knowing that the person they're going to disclose to will probably more likely believe them than not. You know, it yeah. makes more sense that they would come out and share their story more um so that we could, you know, the community can come together and be more supportive of survivors, which is so important. Um, uh, I don't know if you uh, have um, information on this, Johnny. I, I wanted to kind of poke about, you know, since the Start by Believing Day began, you know, five years ago. Um, Have you noticed a change in the amount of support in the community or just in general? Um, I feel like um, sexual assault and sexual violence is, um, you know, since I've been kind of starting, you know, when I was in college until now, I've noticed that there's more information and more dialogues happening, like Sharon was mentioning, of sexual violence in general. And I wanted to know, like from an advocate perspective, if you've noticed any kind of change in the amount of support um, in the community um, within the last recent years.
1: So I can kind of speak anecdotally to that. Um, there's much, there is more of a dialogue, which which has been great to see. And uh, it's unfortunately, <laughs> Sex mm-hmm. remains one of those really polarizing things in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's really politicized, unfortunately. And um, depending on on which side of the divide you're on, there there's a lot of different attitudes that kind of automatically get associated with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there there has been more of a dialogue recently, rather than just kind of this taking of a position and shouting like, this is the way it should be, uh, which which is good to see. And it, it's so important, um, like Sharon said, that, that we have that dialogue um, so that we can educate our kids so that we, we can let them know about what's safe, what's not safe so that we can let survivors in our community know that we are a safe space to be having this conversation with um, and find ways that we can improve improve our communities, improve the lives of um, our lives and and the lives for our kids. At the same time, there is still a long ways to go. And unfortunately, there there are a lot of voices, a lot of cultural messages still that are very toxic and are not supportive of survivors Mm -hmm. um, like there's more conversation nowadays about toxic masculinity and this, this kind of idea that women are sexual objects and a man's vitality or their masculinity is uh, determined by the number of women you can sleep with. And like all those different ideas propagate this kind of rape culture. And so that that's an ongoing problem. Um, but there has been more dialogue about it. And we are making progress and Making this safer for everybody in our community, which which is awesome to see.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of that uh, dialogue as well, um, in general, um, you know, this day actually will start the month of Sexual Assault Awareness Month, which is April. Um, so, with that being said, um, is there anything that you'd like to tell the general public as we kick off Sexual Assault Awareness Month?
1: Um. So. Like I'd said before, uh, with, I mean, definitely listen to your survivors, believe the people who are coming to you. It really is an incredible honor to be that person who's approached and like, let me share this this thing with you to, for them to bear this tremendous vulnerability. Like that, that says a lot about who you are as a person that the survivor thinks that you can be trusted with it. So believe your survivors, but also it's really important that we come together as communities, as neighbors to watch out and support one another. So I'd encourage everybody if to go to our website, um, victimservicecenter.org. there's all sorts of wonderful information about sexual violence, um, about how you can support survivors, about resources available in our community. Um, and specifically, resources available at the Victim Service Center. But specifically, I direct people to go to um, VictimServiceCenter.org slash Be The Hero. And uh, so the Be The Hero campaign is our active bystander intervention um, campaign, and that's that page has all sorts of information on ways you can be more aware of your surroundings, what's going on, notice when there's a potentially dangerous situation. It gives information about how you can safely intervene in those situations and potentially stop something really bad from happening to somebody there's even a spot on there where there's a link down on the bottom where you can sign a pledge um, and you can pledge to be an active bystander post that on social media spread the word so that that would be my encouragement for everybody for uh, sexual assault awareness month
0: perfect thank you johnny that's awesome um and uh, Sharon, I wanted to ask you, um, kind of as a closing here, um, what you um, you would like the general public to learn from your story.
2: What I would really want people to take away from my story is that, I mean, this happened to me my freshman year of college. I was, you know, 18 years old, first time away from home, and really just take away that you can heal you you will be believed you if you have the resources you know reach out um ask for help someone will believe you people will believe you i think it's more likely that people will believe you than not Mm -hmm. Um, and just it takes so much and i know i've been there (laughs) you know the days where you just don't want to get out of bed, the days where you question your entire existence because you feel just so horrible, but it doesn't last forever. Um, there are so many resources and tools um, that are available to. I mean, so like even now when I I googled you guys, you know, victim services because I wanted to get involved. Um, again. Um, because I really just, when you become a survivor, like, think about that word, like you're a survivor, like you went through probably the worst experience of your entire life, but you're here and you can talk about it and you can talk to someone else about it. And just think of the power that that has. You can potentially heal someone else or be a catalyst to their healing. And honestly, that's what helps me. Telling my story, um, getting my story out there, just being some sort of inspiration to some to someone else as people were before me. So I think um, just listening to one another, believing one another, sharing with one another will make all the difference. I mean, is this crime gonna go away? I mean, we should be so lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, However, you know it's one of the oldest cr- crimes in the world you know since the beginning of the time um, the only difference now is you know we have podcasts and Instagram so we right. can definitely you know social media so we can help one another and that's really honestly all I really want to do if, I, if one person listens to this and it's like, oh my gosh, that makes such a difference. I mean listening to Johnny I literally like, had to hold back tears because Mm -hmm. it it re kind of it it like recaptivated what I was going through back then and what I wish certain people in my lives would have done and the way he explained it 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 and actually my advocate explained it that way too um it's like having a fracture or a broken part of your body, except it's your nervous system, and you don't know what's going on, because no one's explaining to you what's going on. Like with a, a, you know, a a cut or a bruise or a break, you can see it, you know, it's tangible. Um, But with this, it's, it's internal, and you just, you don't know how to make the pain stop. Um, So, like, I really love that analogy, Donnie, thank you so much. But I really, couldn't really, like, nailed it. it it nailed exactly what I went through and how, how I was feeling. And um, this just was such, this is so like, actually very special to me, to be honest, like, I am so proud to be a part of sharing my story. And to, for people listening, and just listening to a professional, like Johnny, like, I really, need you as my advocate again. <laughs> I, need, I need another advocate. But, I mean, you need that. You need someone who's going to listen and be informative and and just want to help you, want you to succeed, want you to heal. Um, and I think I rambled enough. So, but that's pretty much, you know. Well, definitely,
1: my, my... thank you. And I'm, I'm sure your advocate from New York would, would probably agree with me. Like, it's, it's a huge honor to, to come alongside view of the other survivors in our community but at the same time you all are the ones doing the work like you you had to put in the effort and it's it's a privilege to just walk a little bit of that journey with you so thank you for being vulnerable with us and yeah. allowing us that opportunity to to walk that little bit with you
2: it was really it's a it's a Pleasure. I really just very quickly, um, someone close to my family th- told me that they were assaulted years ago, and they never shared it with me. And I remember I had to stop and say, "Oh my God! Like, why didn't you tell me this? I would have been there for you. You know, I would have believed you." And I just think that like there's such a stigma still, and advocates and survivors who share their story i think we're here to like break that stigma you know we're real Absolutely. people we have real lives and you know so i think that it's just something that we have to continue that journey and just be there and believe people and believe one another and support one another
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah, absolutely, and yeah, like uh, Johnny said, thank you so much, uh, Sharon, for um, you know being vulnerable with us and sharing your story and sharing your thoughts and feelings about everything, and thank you, um, Johnny, for also being here and uh, talking with us as well. Um, anything that you want to also add, Sharon or Johnny or anyone before we kind of sa- sign off here?
2: No, I think I've said... Everything I could possibly think of. Hopefully, I haven't rambled too much, but
0: again, oh, no, no.
2: thank you so much for allowing me to have this opportunity. Um, and I really look forward to doing my part. I feel like as a survivor, it is my responsibility to help other survivors. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm really looking forward to hearing the podcast.
0: Absolutely. We are so lucky to have um, you. And also, Johnny, we're so lucky to have you here at the VSC as well. Um, So thank you so, so much for you both uh, taking the time out of your day to record this. Uh, And thank you for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. Uh, The VSC is a nonprofit organization. Um, Johnny and I are both a part of it. And it provides free confidential counseling services um, for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. Uh, To learn more about our services, please visit VictimServiceCenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear, and you are not alone. So thank you both again, and um, have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you, Emily. Thank you. You too.